So let's go to the scriptures together this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll do the fifth installment of our City of Angels series. And the subject that I want to touch on today in this installment is angels and demons. And we're going to start reading in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, where the scripture says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then again lay down. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. And we'll pause there. We'll finish the passage in just a second. But uh, in our series, City of Angels, we're looking at some of the key angel passages in the Bible. First of all, to identify some of the things that we want to be known for as a church. We're using these passages to highlight some values and strengths that, that we want to absorb into the ethos of who we are as a congregation. But the number two, we're also just looking for strengths and insights that can, that can reinforce our faith. Now, with this idea today of angels and demons, whether people in our world actually believe in angels and demons or not, we are certainly fascinated with them. Have any of you older people ever watched Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon? Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> or, or how about Touched by an Angel if you're a tiny bit younger with Roma Downey? There are so many angel shows out there. In fact, anybody watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas? I'm a little burned out on it, but I've been watching it for like 50 years. But, but it begins and ends with angel activity. There's so many angel shows, and there are tons of movies out there that highlight demons. We're in uh, the Halloween month, and so right now, um, all of the movie emphasis is on horror uh, and sometimes a supernatural terror. And whether we actually believe in that stuff or not, we're fascinated by it. Now, the Bible does not give us a lot of insight into the creation or the history of angels or demons, the Bible just assumes their existence. The Bible assumes the reality of supernatural beings in our universe. Some are good and some are horrifying. And far more people than you might think are convinced 
that in their life they have encountered either an angel, a being of incredible beauty and goodness and light, or they're convinced that they encountered a demon, a being of fear and terror and, and evil. There are evils in our world today that I think can best be explained by assuming a supernatural evil in existence. See, we humans can do a lot of really bad stuff all by ourselves. We don't need anything supernatural to add to it, but there are some sins in the human race, like genocide or human trafficking, or maybe you could think of other things that are so horrific that they reflect back to us what the Bible presents about the reality of supernatural demonic powers. When we look at some of the terrorizing, crushing things that happen in our world, I think it's easier and I think it makes more logical sense to believe in angels and in demons than to attribute all of that stuff just to human badness. Uh, the scriptures make it clear that we are not alone in the universe. There are other free-willed agents that are affecting outcomes in the world around us. And listen, we, we don't have to look at obscure or confusing parts of the Bible to see this. The life of Jesus gives us the clearest picture of the reality of angels and demons of any part of the Bible. Think about the life of Jesus. Um, angels announced his birth to his mother, to Joseph, to the shepherds that would preach it. Um, on two different occasions, at least, Jesus was strengthened by angels. At one point, Jesus was teaching, and he said that in, in the afterlife, we will be like the angels. Angels announced the fact that he'd been raised from the dead outside the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And everywhere that Jesus went, demonic powers that were operating their wicked intentions in bodies and relationships and systems were exposed and driven out. Jesus was the living embodiment of the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, the dominion of God went with him. And think about it. Everywhere Jesus went, three things happened. Bodies repaired. Relationships were restored and set back in order. And demon spirits were exercised. They were exposed and expelled. Have you ever been to a chiropractor? Do any of you have a really annoying friend um, like Madeline, my daughter, who, who is perfect in every way, except she does this thing where she pops her neck? Do any of you have those really annoying friends that like they, they reef on their back and just their whole back pops like in a, like in a, like, like a drum kit? Um, if you've ever been to a chiropractor, you have experienced what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a gigantic chiropractic adjustment. It snaps our life back into proper alignment. <laughs> Did you remember the passage where Jesus sees um, James and John and, and they're sitting in a, a boat and they're, they're tending their nets? Uh, let, let me remind you of this. In Matthew 4, 21, it says, Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. 
you really are pretty much perfect, babe, other than that one little trait. But <laughs> They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately uh, they left the boat, and their father followed them. Uh, the, the word prepared their nets, some translations say mending their nets or repairing their nets. And that's the Greek word katartizo. And that word means to mend what has been broken, to put things back into order, or to adjust. So life with Jesus is like a whole life chiropractic adjustment. The closer you walk with him, the, the more your life gets adjusted. It gets snapped back into place. Um, more of our life comes into proper alignment. And part of that realignment is the elimination of the work of demonic powers that want to destroy that life from inside you. So in, in our passage today, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see both of those supernatural forces at work. We see an angel that strengthened Elijah, and we see a demonic power that overwhelmed him. In verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And what he had done in the preceding chapter was to square off against 850 false prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. These were the two leading deities of the Canaanite region at that time in the world. And they set up two camps... Elijah by himself, and 850 over here on their side, and they engaged in a prayer contest. They each set up an altar, put a sacrifice on the altar, and they prayed for their respective gods to send fire from heaven to consume the altar. The 850 prophets prayed all day long. From morning until evening, they prayed until they were fatigued. They even started cutting themselves so that the blood flowed in the attempt to attract the attention of their deity. And by the way, the phenomenon of self-harm and specifically cutting is becoming increasingly common today. And if there's any person here today who is struggling with cutting or any form of self-harm, I want to say to you, would you please talk to someone? You are precious. You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are made in the image of God. And there is help for the pain that could force someone to seek a release through that kind of act. Well, Despite all of the efforts, no fire fell after a, a day of prayer. So then it was Elijah's turn, and Elijah says, before I pray, douse my altar with water. I want to make sure there's no sleight of hand going on. I want you to know that I'm not manipulating the fire. They covered the, the altar until water was pouring out, and then Elijah prayed a 17-second prayer. I timed it when I was reading it. I prayed it in a real holy prophet voice and it took me 17 <laughs> seconds. 
They pray all day long and there's nothing. He prays for 17 seconds. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. Then he prayed again and he broke a three-year drought off of the country. And then to top it off, he got so full of Holy Spirit power, he outran King Ahab's chariot. Not a bad day for a prophet of God. So how is it then that Queen Jezebel threatens him and he immediately despairs of his life? Verse two says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, he left his servant while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In verse two, the word messenger Jezebel sent a messenger is the Hebrew word malach. And I want you to look at this word up on the screen. The reason I'm giving you that word malach, um, and, and then that number is the Strong's Concordance. So it's a study reference. I'm wanting you to see that, that word and that number because that word is the Hebrew word that we translate in the Bible as angel. The word means messenger or deputy, or angel. In fact, in verses five and seven, when an angel ministered to Elijah, it's the exact same Hebrew word, malach. So a demonic angel attached its message, attached its power to a human message. And it was so powerful that it made Elijah, the prophet, pray to die that there are a lot of theories about why Elijah had such a bad meltdown. Some people think that Elijah was convinced that after those miraculous signs that the whole nation would convert and return to God. But when he got the message that Jezebel was still hard-hearted and defiant, it, it, it broke his spirit. <clears throat> Some people think that it's a lesson for us about the dangers of adrenaline spikes and crashes. Adrenaline spikes and crashes are real. And some of the most vulnerable times in our lives and in our faith are after high moments. When you come down from the high, you're vulnerable. All of that's probably true. But, but, but I think that the Hebrew language and the extreme response from Elijah lets us know that one of the mediums of demonic powers is the message. Remember, angels are messengers. In our City of Angels series, we've had at least two sermons talking about God's messengers. Angels are God's messengers. Demon powers are satanic messengers. And sometimes, catch this, okay? This is my message right here. Sometimes demonic spirits attach themselves to human messages, See, the extreme demonic manifestations that you see in a horror film or that you hear about from stories of church exorcisms, that is not the norm of spiritual warfare. The norm of spiritual warfare are messages that disorient us, that, that knock us off balance, that, that 
convince us to forget or, or to doubt what God has said. The, the first words in the Bible that were spoken by Satan, the first words were the words, did God really say? Genesis 3, 1. Genesis is the book of origins. Genesis teaches us how to understand and how to frame up the reality of this world that we're living in. And, and, and according to the book of origins, if the enemy of our soul, that's how Satan gets described in scripture, can convince us to doubt God, to doubt his intention for you, to doubt his character, to doubt the strength of his word, he wins. Elijah went from calling down fire from heaven and outrunning a chariot to, to hiding in a desert, praying for his life to end. Let, let me insert just two things quickly. There, there are more, but let me give you two things that the Bible says about specific messages from the enemy of our soul. Um, number one, according to the scriptures, demons speak lies. Demons speak lies. In John 8, Jesus is speaking. He's talking about Satan, and he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Demons speak lies, number one. Number two, demons speak accusations. Um, Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. God can't be trusted. God won't help you. You don't have what it takes. You are not going to make it. Why in the world would they say that? Why in the world would they do that? You will never survive this. Your life is over. Listen, Satan, according to the scriptures, th this isn't myth. This isn't a Hollywood script. According to the scriptures, Satan accuses God, you, and other people. And when the hooks of those accusations get set, death ensues. The death of faith, the death of confidence, the death of trust, the death of relationship. So this is why the Apostle Paul said that we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When, some, when something is captured or arrested, what happens next? There's a trial. I'm going to test this thing and examine it. And after a trial, there's a ruling. Guilty, not guilty. True, not true. Um, the, the, this is why the very first piece of armor in what we call the, uh, the, what do we call the armor in Ephesians 6? Oh, the armor of God. I forgot God. The, the very first piece of the armor of God is the belt of truth. In the old King James Version, it says, have your loins it's the most vulnerable part of your body. Have your loins girt or reinforced with truth. Truth answers lies. And, and listen, as a church, let's be a people of truth. 
Let's be a church that is quick to identify, to recognize, and then arrest and stamp out lies, accusations, and suspicions. Sometimes those messages can get so vicious that even heroic prophets like Elijah can lose their way. In verse four, he says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah, don't fall asleep under the influence of this demonic message. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. And sometimes the journey is too much for you. And those are vulnerable times. And those are times to be especially um, engaged. So he got up, he ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And I love that imagery because Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, where Moses encountered God. And Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights under the influence of this supernatural angelic encounter. Moses at Mount Sinai also spent 40 days and 40 nights existing on nothing but the presence of God. Do you know that there actually is a reality where God's presence could get strong enough that that's all you would need to sustain you? Now, I've never touched that, but, 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 but it happened with Moses and Elijah. And so it's interesting when Jesus has his Mount of Transfiguration moment in Matthew 17, and he brings Peter, James, and John onto the mountaintop, uh, the two men that speak to him were Elijah and Moses, men who had gone to Sinai together under the power and the strength of God. Well, when he got there, he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. This is intense. Think about this moment. He's seen two angels or, or one angel twice. He has traveled 40 days with supernatural strength. God is now speaking to him and he's still being influenced by the message from Jezebel. So the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Um, I like that. Elijah was familiar with the whisper of God's voice. Wait, there it is. I, I know that voice. I can trust that voice. So he slips out to the mouth of the cave and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and then God gives him some marching orders. When you arrive, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not as alone as you think you are, Elijah. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen. Elijah was not set free from Jezebel's message until a greater message from God came to him. And listen, that's what Jesus modeled when he encountered Satan in the wilderness. At the beginning of his ministry, every time the enemy of his soul spoke, Jesus countered with, it is written. In other words, there's a greater message than the message that you're speaking to me here. Sometimes there's another word. There's a greater word that can set us free. So what are the messages that you and I are most susceptible to? You know, it's worth taking time with God, with your journal, with your own soul and identifying them. You know, anecdotally, so experientially, I think everybody has just a couple of main messages I don't think you have a million messages that plague you every day. I think there's usually one or two go-to messages that Satan uses to knock us off balance. Um, can I tell you mine? Th- this will be fun. I'll have a little therapy moment with you all. Yes, everyone says they love you, but they will probably eventually leave you. That's a fun message, isn't it? Yes, people say they appreciate your gifts and your personality, but you're not gifted enough to carry out God's plan for your life or or ministry. Those are the two messages that take me out the, the quickest. And listen, the most dangerous messages are false messages that have a little bit of truth woven into them. The truth inside a lie is what will take you out. People have left me in my life. I've had really good friends who aren't my friends anymore. They don't want to be. I've had some really great leaders in my church leave my church. There's truth to that message. But that doesn't mean that everyone will leave me. In fact, most people won't leave me. But when a lie mixes with the truth and then someone does leave me, that that, that lie roars to the surface. See? Not lovable. I'm not gifted enough to build a church on. I don't have the gifts and talents to, to build a, a church on. And I wouldn't want a church that was insignificant enough to rest on the strength of my personality or my gifts alone. And yet, when, when I don't have the, the gifts of someone else, or when my personality or my weaknesses do hinder the church, that lie roars to the surface. See, not gifted enough. But, but, but just as there are some go-to lies from the enemy, we need to have some go-to truth responses. People will leave me, it's true. But God and a lot of other people 
won't. That's even more true. My gifts are not sufficient to build a church on. But, but last I checked, if I recall correctly, God only needs a shepherd's stone flung from a sling to take out a giant. In the, in the early days of our church merger, we need to be on guard against messages, even messages that have a little bit of truth in them um, that could damage what God wants to do here. And in all the days of our personal lives, we need to be on guard against messages that could send our faith into the wilderness to die. When Jessica and I were younger, we knew a preacher who, when he was very small, his dad used to say to him, man, if I had all the nickels I could fit inside that giant nose of yours, I'd be a rich man. And he didn't even, didn't even have a big nose. Uh, one, of, one of our best friends is half Korean. And when he was growing up, his Korean mother was still learning English. And she knew the basics, but she didn't understand the nuance of the English language yet. And so when he would do something that was normal for a little boy, not, not, not terribly bad, just ornery, just being a little boy, um, she would use very harsh language. She didn't know how to speak correctly. So she would say, you're bad, I hate you. Now, he wasn't bad and she didn't hate him. But as a little boy, he didn't have a filtering mechanism. He wasn't able to say, mom is still learning the nuance of the English language. She actually loves me and I'm just being a little bit naughty. No, he thought I'm bad and mom hates me. What messages came to you when you were young? Some of the deepest messages we have to combat came to us when we were young. What messages came to you when you had your heart broken, either in your youth or your adulthood? Um, what messages came to you when you failed? Did you fail or are you an endless failure? See, sometimes there are subliminal messages below the surface that we haven't even identified, but there's a demonic charge attached to them. Some of the most stressful, overwhelming, pit-in-your-stomach experiences that we have with people are when someone says or doesn't say something and we fret and worry about it. Why did they do? Why did they not do? What were they thinking? Uh, there's a demonic charge that gets added to a very natural, real situation. And before we know it, a relationship is on the rocks. Before we know it, our confidence is out the door. Um, sometimes those messages are so strong, they sound like wind. That They sound like earthquakes. They sound like fire. But one of the best ways to combat the voice of the enemy is to familiarize yourself with the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus does not sound like harshness. It doesn't sound like condemnation. It doesn't sound like, let me beat you up a little bit longer. The voice of Jesus sounds like, I loved you enough to leave heaven. Walk in your shoes, live in your story, climb on a cross, extend my arms, embracing the entire world, chasing you to the ends of the earth with a nuclear level of love. Um, we've named our new church Hope. And one of the ways that we will be carriers and exporters of hope is when we're very quick to discern messages that need to be cast out and messages that need to be held up and proclaimed. We need to speak God's truth to ourselves and to every person around us. This is Spiritual Warfare 101. This is the primary means that the enemy speaks. It can come from a thought in our own mind, it can be a thought that seems to come in from the outside, or it can be a, a relational dynamic 
that all of a sudden gets supercharged, we need to identify those things. Be quick to arrest them, quick to renounce them, quick to put them on trial, quick to put them in their proper place. Um, Amanda, you can bring your team back up. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says these words. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Could you imagine what life would look like if the prevailing undercurrent was the message of Christ? If the subliminal message that your whole life was functioning to was the message of Christ? Sometimes Jessica and I have a little narcissistic conversation and we talk about what what would the soundtrack to our life be? Now hers would be Bon Jovi, something like that. But you know, what would, what, what would the, if you walk in the room, what song would you want played that just captures the essence of who you are? Could you imagine if your life captured the message of Christ? If you functioned on the message of Jesus Christ, how free would you be? How alive would you be? How much would we be able to export to people around us? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So let's insist that that be descriptive of us. Let's be God's angels. That was how we started this series. We want to be a city of angels. We want to be messengers that counteract the message of Jezebel or Baal or Asherah or your crazy in-law. Not mine, but why don't you stand with me? And let's just take a few minutes as we move back to worship and let's, let's let this be a response moment. It could be that you just readily identify, oh yeah, I've believed this for far too long. Or a lot of times we're not, we're not buying into the lie. We know it's a lie. It just seems like it's incessant. It never stops. Let's even take this moment here and say, God, would you put that lie to death forever? Would you replace it with truth? Let me go minutes, hours, days, weeks without struggling with that thought again. So Jesus, would you do that for us right now? God, since we're talking about a supernatural battle that gets wrapped up inside our natural lives, would you bring a supernatural strength today and would you sever the messages of the enemy of our souls? Every person here, Lord, young and old, and I pray especially for the youngest people under the tent. Lord, as they grow, let them grow in grace. Would you expel the messages that want to hold them back or harm them in any way? Would you give them truth messages from your heart and your passion for them? We renounce the voice of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, we silence the voice of Jezebel. We silence the voice of spiritual warfare. And Lord, would you stir up the word of the Lord? Would you stir up angel activity? We don't see them. We believe this stuff by faith. Sometimes we feel something, but by faith, would you stir up activity? Would you stir up victory on our behalf? 
And Lord, we can probably all think of someone today that we love that's clobbered by those messages. Set them free. Set them free in the name of Jesus Christ. Give them lasting victory over messages that want to damage and destroy their soul. God, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that you are called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, you're the living Word. You're the living antidote to the messages that undermine and destroy. So, Father, let the living Word take root in our hearts. Let it fill us. Let it radiate from us and set us free in Jesus' name. Amen.